Well, my name is Seth, and I'm the lead pastor on staff. It's good to be with you today in worship to everyone in the room, to those online. Uh, we say Happy Halloween, which is kind of strange because uh, it's, it's a Sunday, and uh, it's Halloween. That's not common. I guess that happens every seven years or something like that. But today I want to talk to you about the masks that we wear, okay? This is Black Panther, all right? The masks that we wear, not just on Halloween. If you came out to Fall Fest last night, uh, you likely wore a costume. Many of the costumes included a mask. Uh, by the way, whatever um, number Jason told you a little bit earlier uh, that, that came out to Fall Fest, it was plus 500. I mean, they were, we were flooded. There were so many people that came out. It was awesome. And special thanks to the volunteers. I'm looking for all of you and pointing because you had you made such an incredible difference and impact. Uh, thank you for serving yesterday in those ways. But what happens is we put on a mask, and it does a few things. A mask, it conceals our identity. It, it's a disguise in many ways. And then not only this, it portrays or shows uh, an image that may not be actually who we are. It may be something that we wish we were. I wish I was a superhero and uh, looked a particular way. That's what masks do. And uh, when it comes to our Christianity, our walk with Christ, what happens is that it's, it's often not just on Halloween that we wear a mask, but it's, it's all the time. So on social media, we put on a mask, and we try to portray a certain image or vision of who we are uh, when we drive certain cars or buy certain clothes, we try to show a certain image. In, in all these ways, the homes we live in, the vacations we take, the things we say and do, it's all projecting a particular image. Now, that's not entirely bad. We do want to put our best foot forward. We certainly don't want to put our wrong foot forward. But the trouble is when we start to conceal what is and project something that, that isn't actually. And when that happens, damage is done. In fact, uh, what I would share is that in Christianity in particular, we face this problem because we are an imperfect people who serve a perfect God. And in that way, we sin. We do mistake, make mistakes. We don't represent God the way that he deserves to be represented the trouble comes when we try to cover it up, right? When we aren't honest about it, when we fake it till we make it, when, when we hide in these ways. And the invitation then is instead of living with a mask, for us instead to confess. God gives us this ancient Christian practice called confession, and it is a gift to us as believers in Christ. Now, I don't know if you've heard a sermon ever before on confession. I don't know that I have, uh, but uh, before any defenses go up, let me share just a few uh, introductory thoughts. First, this is part of a series called Prehab. Uh, this is about preventing rehab. These are spiritual disciplines, spiritual exercises that we are talking about that help us become more like Jesus, all right? It's not about the discipline or the practice itself. It's about what that discipline and exercise does to us on the other side. God uses these things to transform us so that we become more and more like Jesus. The invitation from God in confession is to take off the mask. And maybe you and I 
Maybe we have a preconceived notion of what confession actually is. Based on our culture, based on how this has been modeled for us, often what confession looks like is this. Uh, There is a public figure, politician, a celebrity, and they get caught for doing something wrong. And what do they do? They have to stand up in front of a group of people. They stand in front of a camera, and they read a carefully worded statement that is uh, weighed in with legal counsel to mitigate any risks against, uh, you know, all this sort of thing. And it, it just comes across so often as disingenuous. Instead, the Bible gives us a different picture of what confession can look like. In fact, the original word, I'll read a passage on confession here in just a moment, but the Greek word, the original word for confession in the scriptures, it's the word homologeo, okay? Homologeo. This word is a compound word, homo meaning same, logeo is to speak. We translate this word as confess or confession, but homologeo, it literally means just simply to say the same thing. There's something beautiful about that, isn't there? It's saying what is true. It's saying what is right. It's the thing that God knows already. It's the thing that everybody else likely already knows. And we just simply say the thing that is. And in that way, the Bible tells us that that simple honesty, saying and speaking what is true, this is the better way. And when we do this, what happens is there's just this incredible power that's unleashed God unlocks something in us, in our church, in our lives, in our, in our families, in our relationships. It is a powerful, powerful discipline. Let me tell you how this plays out. Uh, it, this happened just a few w- weeks ago in our household. Uh, we were planning as a family to go and do a boo. I don't know if you've heard of this. Maybe it's called something else, but someone did it to us. They leave candy on the front porch, and they ring and run, all right? And then you come out, and you discover all this candy. They're hiding in the bushes. Everybody thinks it's awesome and fun, so they wanted to go and do this. They were looking forward to it all week. We bought the candy. We were prepared. We were ready, and that evening while we were waiting, uh, mom, my wife, goes and uh, takes a walk just to get away and uh, breathe for a little bit, and while she was gone, the kids just lost it. I mean, it was, there were tears, there were words, there were physical violence. There was just, I mean, they came undone. And I said, I warned them, kids, if you don't stop, then we are going to lose the boo. We're going to lose the booing that you want to do. Oh, no, it didn't stop. It just escalated. So I'm like, all right, dad's going to put on the... We're done. We're it. It's over. You can't do it. Tears started flying. There were timeouts. People are in their room. I mean, it was just an utter meltdown. And our kids are now at the age, eight years old, six-year-old, where they ask this question. Maybe you know the question. Dad, is there any way that we can earn it back? <laughs> can, can we plead? There's pleading and begging and bargaining. Can, is there any way we can earn it back? And as the parents, most of the time we say, absolutely not. You're going to face the the consequences on this. And uh, occasionally we'll feel gracious or compassionate uh, or we'll try to teach a lesson and we'll let them earn it back. Well, uh, this time in particular, I said, well, okay, I I actually, I do think there's a way you can earn it back. I was thinking about confession. Uh, This must be terrible to be a preacher's kid. These like sermon examples living in front of me. So I'm like, yeah, there is a way you can earn this one back. 
if you confess what you've done, you have to tell me, you have to admit that you've done wrong and ask for forgiveness, and then you have to do the same thing when your mom gets home. Well, to protect the identities of those involved, I won't use any names of our two children, but uh, one in particular was struggling with this, uh, and they, uh, they finally, oh, I, you know, just teeth grit, I did that, I'm sorry, it wasn't very genuine, but okay, okay, mom gets home and they have to do it again, this time blanket over the head, teeth gritting, it just, it was so painful, and uh, man, we probably shouldn't have allowed it, but we were like, okay, that passes, we're going to allow it, and we're going to get the boo back, and uh, be able to go and leave some candy and hide. Um, now, the reason I share any of that is because of this, what we struggle with often is admitting the thing that is. In some ways, as Christians, we should be the best at apologizing. We should be able to say, I'm sorry. We should be able to own up and take responsibility for the things that we have done because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And yet we struggle to to admit, to take responsibility for some of the things that we say and do. I want you to consider this. God already knows. The reality is the one entity in the entire universe that we don't want to know. (laughs) He already knows. God knows and sees everything that's done. And the God who fully sees, fully loves He knows you more than anyone else in the world knows you, and he loves you still more than anyone else in the world loves you. We are created in the image of God, and like a father, he is raising up his children. And he shows us sometimes consequences, and and we have to face those. But he also shows us love and grace and mercy so that we can become mature in Christ. And so the Father in heaven who who sees you fully, he loves you fully, and God has already provided a way forward for your sin and for mine. For, For the things that we've done, whether we're willing to confess it or not willing to confess it, God has already made a way for you. And that's what I want to talk about in 1 John this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read several verses, and I just want to pull out some basic lessons and ideas from what this early follower of Jesus has to say to us, the church. Uh, This is the youngest of the disciples. This is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the disciple, John, writes to the early church in verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice, and not only for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. That is an incredible passage of Scripture. 
And as we think and reflect on what John says, again, there are some very basic truths to Christianity that we need to examine. The first is this, that we struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're close to Christ or far away from Christ, we all struggle with sin. And the, the thing about this is that when John is writing, he's writing to the church, that these are the believers, the Christians, the Christ followers in the first century that he's writing to. This is that we still struggle with sin, even after God has forgiven us of our sin, even after we have chosen to walk a better and different path in the way of Jesus. We struggle with sin. I love how John puts this. He says there that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and we lie. And so if you say you don't sin, you're actually lying, which is a sin, and then you're a sinner, and then the rest of us, we're sinners, and so we're all, we all just sin, and we struggle with this in our lives. If you look, just taking a quick glance at the New Testament, you'll see the apostles and the disciples, they were tempted. They struggled with sin. They caved in to their pride and many other things. If you look at the New Testament church, in Galatia or in Corinth, all of these churches in the New Testament, they wrestle with their sins, division and gossip and, and um, envy and anger and uh, lust, and they, they, they struggle, uh, false doctrine, they struggle with all of these issues. I like how the Apostle Paul writes it in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. <laughs> we can resonate with this. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So our sin, it's not just we do bad things that we don't want to do. We also should be doing good things that we don't do. We, we commit sins on both sides, and we have, to, we have to admit, we have to acknowledge, we have to own up and take responsibility for the things that we've done. Confession begins with simply acknowledging that something has happened that is sinful. It missed the mark. It fell below the standard of God. In fact, it was rebellion against God's way, and it chose my way instead of his way. And when we acknowledge this, that's the beginning to forgiveness. That's the beginning to healing. I'm going to put a phrase up on the, the screen, and... I'm going to invite us to think about it and, and to potentially read it together if you believe it, all right? I don't want to force anything here. But this, this statement is, I have a sin problem. And for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, or maybe we want to call ourselves Christians, th th this is a great starting place to acknowledge, yeah, we, we do struggle with sin. So again, I don't want to force or coerce and doesn't matter if your neighbor says it or doesn't, but if you believe this, if you want to say this with me, I'm going to admit this. We'll read it together. I have a sin problem, and I need to sit in the weight of that, that I can't do this. Only God is able to do this for me. And when we sit in the weight of our sin, what we discover is the beauty, the goodness of the gospel on the other side, that God, he takes care of our sin problem, and he makes a way for us in his son, Jesus Christ. 
That's the, that's the basis of the Christian faith. It's this, that we know that in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and acknowledge or believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's what Romans 10, 9 says. And the reality is that we often as Christians, the very thing that enters us into the kingdom of God is confession, right? We say, I'm a sinner, I need God's forgiveness, and then there's entrance into the kingdom of God. We, we will even, many of us will say the good confession that Peter said to Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And then we'll go down into the waters of baptism and we'll be buried with Jesus and raised to walk in newness of life. But for some reason, what happens is that when we confess to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we seem to struggle on the other side to practice ongoing confession. That's the thing that I find ironic, right? The very basis of Christianity is that you confess so that you are a Christian, but then all the Christians seem to struggle with confessing. It's like, we'll do it once, but all the future times, I'm not sure I'll do it then. And we need to address this. For some of us, we feel like we can't continue to confess because we have to be perfect. Uh, because maybe of shame from others around us. And yet there is something so fundamental about acknowledging we struggle with sin, we continue to struggle with sin, and we need ongoing grace and forgiveness from our Lord and Savior. The second truth that we learn from John is that, that we need forgiveness, ongoing forgiveness. It says there in 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to reread the words that we already read. It says that if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is our advocate. He advocates on our behalf to God the Father. He, Jesus, is the righteous one. He is righteous where we were not righteous. And he then is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for us, but for the sins of the entire world. This is incredible. There is not a person who has ever lived on the face of the earth for whom Jesus did not die for their sins. As much as we struggle with sin, we have a God who offers love and grace and forgiveness to his children, us created in his image, and he did so by sending his son, Jesus. God himself becomes human. God, in the form of Jesus, humbles himself and becomes human and shows us the full revelation of God. And then he leads us. He shows us the way back to God the Father. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done for us. This is incredibly good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about our need for forgiveness. This is not something that we just do one time so that we enter the Christian life. This is a practice, a discipline for the church that is to continue on so that we become more and more like Jesus in the future than we were today in the present. One of my favorite stories of confession, it comes from um, a, a guy named Donald Miller. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz years ago 
And in this book, uh, he talks about going to Reed College in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Reed College is a very secular uh, institution, and uh, he writes that they had this festival where basically it's like this school-sponsored party, and they just know all the kids are going to get drunk, all the kids are going to get high, and they're going to do all the things that come with those activities. And so it is just this full-on party scene, days on end, that takes place on the campus. And him, Donald Miller, and his few friends, they decided that, that at this festival, they wanted to be a witness. They wanted to talk about Christianity and be the light of Jesus in this dark moment and place. And so Donald talks about his idea. He, he's sitting with his friends and he says, what if we build a confession booth, right? Like the old school Catholic, you know, two sides, and there's like a little curtain, and then we take people's confession. He was saying it as a joke, but much to his chagrin, his friends were like, that's a good idea. And you know how this is, right? When you're in college, you're like, oh, no, I, I got to pull my words back. Like, what? Hold on, we can't do this. And they're like, that is brilliant. And so they're talking about this idea, and, and then there, there's this moment where they're discussing setting up a confession booth that they turned it on its head, and this is really what made the story pop. They decided that instead of receiving confessions from these sinning students, that they would build a confession booth and they, the Christians, would confess to those who were sinning uh, about the things that they hadn't done to represent their God well. And so here's a picture from that time. They dressed up. I mean, th th they come to this festival. They build this confession booth here, open for business. And Donald Miller gets in one side of the booth, and as he's sitting there, he's like, this was a terrible idea. What are we doing? No one's going to come. Oh, what are we going to do? And then finally, a young man by the name of Jake walks in. And he details their conversation in his book. I'll read just a couple of things. As uh, Jake walks in, uh, he realizes that now I have to confess to this guy in front of me. I have to confess for all the ways that I haven't lived up to following Jesus. I haven't fed the poor like I should. Uh, I haven't uh, always reserved or, or, or held back my anger. I, I've lashed out at other people, and that was wrong. He, he, he needed to apologize that, that the crusades happened long ago and that there was fighting and killing in the name of Jesus. He just wanted to apologize for all of these things. And so as Jake sits there, Jake says, so uh, I'm, I'm supposed to confess now, right? And Don says, no, actually... I'm going to confess to you. He was really confused, and here's what Don says. He says, Jesus said to feed the poor and heal the sick, but I have never done much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me, and I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened, you know, if my ego gets threatened. Jesus did not mix his spirituality with politics, but I grew up doing that. Uh, I, it got in the way of the central message of Jesus, and I know that was wrong, and I know there are a lot of people who will not listen to the words of Christ because of people like me, who know him, who carry our own agendas into the conversation rather than relying on the message of Christ that he wanted to get across. Uh, there, there's a lot more. I'm sorry for all of that. And then something incredible happened. Jake, the sinner, as we'll call him, <laughs> sits across from Donald Miller and he just says these words, I forgive you. And the tables turn. There was this conversation about 
the gospel of Jesus, the good news, there was this conversation and question about the cross. What is the cross, and, and, and what is this whole Christianity thing about? And Donald Miller was able to share the gospel with this young man, and, and he even at one point said, can you tell me more about this? Not that I want to become a Christian or anything, but I, I just, I've never heard about this in the way that you guys are talking about it before. And at the end of the conversation, this young man named Jake, he, he, he did not become a Christian in that moment, but Donald Miller left him with this open invitation, and it went something like this. He said, Jake, if you want to know God, you can. I'm just saying, if you ever want to call on Jesus, he will be there for you. Jake's response was this. He said, with tears in his eyes, thanks. That, that means a lot. I believe what you're saying. He says, it's cool here what you guys are doing. I'm going to go tell all of my friends about it. To which Donald Miller replied, I don't know whether to thank you for that or not. He knew that he would have to spend the next several hours confessing his sins as a Christian to those who came in. And that's exactly what he and all of his friends did. Many of them, after the confession, the the sinner would say, can I give you a hug? They were forgiven. They were confessing. They were connecting all around this idea that we're a sinner who needs the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And what happened on the campus in the months that followed was absolutely incredible. They, as a group of Christians, began all of these initiatives that they had apologized for. They began doing those things and trying to live out to the best of their ability with honesty, with integrity, the message of the gospel of Christ. And what happens is that when we own the thing that we need to own, when we say the same thing, homologeo, when we model the way of Jesus, a better way for people, it not only has an impact in our lives and relationships, it's an incredible witness to all of those around us. Yet we struggle with this idea of confession, as we've already talked about. In fact, I would say that we neglect, as Christians, we neglect this practice of confession. And it's only to our own detriment that this happens because this is a gift to us. Confession is a grace that God gives to us and it leads to healing and it leads to forgiveness. Let me just remind us of what we read um, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess,